Tonight, what goes on behind the closed doors of the Masonic Lodge? A 32nd degree Mason said the ritual was the authoritative source for all Masons. But what is the ritual for the first three degrees of Masonry? What does it teach? You will be introduced to the primary symbols in all Masonic lodges and watch how a candidate is received upon his being initiated into the entered apprentice degree of Masonry. How binding is the obligation taken by any candidate initiated into the first three degrees of Masonry? Tonight, you will find out. Welcome to Media Roots Radio. What you're hearing is a preview of part one of a two-part episode on the Masonic history of the United States. So what you're about to hear is a 25-minute sample from a four-hour-long episode titled The Temple of Solomon, Hiram Abiff, and the Freemasonic Origin Story of the United States. Part one of two. Part two of this episode, which comes out in mid-August, is titled Anti-Masonry, Joseph Smith, Albert Pike, Baseball, and American Occultism. Part two of two. Please consider donating to Media Roots Radio by becoming a Patreon subscriber of ours at patreon.com slash Media Roots Radio. For as little as $5 a month, you can get access to this full four-hour episode and other bonus episodes, like our breakdown of QAnon. Thanks for listening. We sort of came up with the idea of infiltrating a Masonic Lodge for fun, as a prank. You know, and I was just coming at it from their perspective of, yeah, this would be hilarious. These sort of like secret society people that dress up in these aprons and outfits who talk funny, you know, to sneak in there. We're, we're just like high school kids. Yeah, it'd be hilarious if we fucking crashed one of those lodge meetings. In the town I grew up in, Pleasanton, had a Masonic lodge. They had a meeting on the first Wednesday of every month. I guess that's like a, a thing that most Masonic lodges do. And we showed up there. We dressed up. I don't think we had ties on. Like, my friend wore his, like, Radio Shack. He was working at Radio Shack at the time, so he wore his, like, Radio Shack uniform, which looked kind of like a nice business attire, like casual business attire, without a suit jacket, just, like, a dress shirt and black pants, slacks. And I tried to do the same thing. I, like, wore kind of, like, a nice shirt. So we go into this Masonic Lodge meeting in Pleasanton, California. We just walk in as the people are, all these, like, older men are walking in. Nobody was even close to our age. We were 17 or something at the time. We sit down in the empty chairs and uh, all these guys in really nice suits and ties and, you know, they look like mostly older guys and they're 
50s and 60s were sitting around us. We were by far the youngest people there. And this guy with like a sword, a top hat and an apron stands up at this podium and says, welcome brethren, like with a booming voice over this room. And as soon as he yells that, a guy taps us on the shoulder. And he's like, hi, how are you doing? He was like super polite. And he's like, or may I ask why you're here? And when he said that, he held out his hand and gave us like a weird handshake that we didn't really put together at the time was a Masonic handshake. And uh, this is while the guy is still talking to the, at the podium. He's talking really loudly. And this guy is sort of whispering to us in this voice while sort of tapping on my friend's shoulder. And he's like, oh, he's like, please come with me. Oh, first we actually said we were just here to check out the meeting. He must have assumed off the bat that we weren't already Freemasons. Asked us to come with him. He was still acting really nice and polite and didn't act like we had done anything wrong, necessarily. We weren't really afraid at this point or, like, bothered by it. But what he did was he just took us into the lobby of the lodge where they had all these little artifacts and antiques set up, like the compass and protractor, like a bronze cast of one and stuff like that. And he just started asking us why we were there. We told him that we wanted to show up for the Masonic Lodge meeting. And he said, well, do you know you have to be a member first to come to a meeting? And we said, no, we played dumb. I'm sure he knew that we were not telling the truth, but he still treated us very respectfully. He said that he would help us initiate to become a member of the lodge if we just wait in the lobby for him and he would be back in five minutes. So we're sitting there in this lobby. We can still hear this you know, Masonic Lodge meeting head guy sort of with this booming voice in the other room. Couldn't really hear what he was saying. We just waited. Five minutes passed, 10 minutes passed, 20 minutes passed, a half an hour passed, 45 minutes passed. And we started to realize that the guy was not coming back. So I don't know if he wanted us to wait there until the lodge meeting was over or what, but we just, so we just got out of there. We thought, oh, that was funny that we got to see the opening 30 seconds of a Masonic Lodge meeting, and then we immediately got kicked out. So we proceeded to try to do it again. We did it in Oakland when I started going to art school in Oakland. So we were already out of high school. We went to the Rock Ridge Lodge in Oakland. Same deal. First Wednesday of the month, we saw that they had lodge meetings then. So we just walked in the front doors. The Rock Ridge Oakland Lodge is like a building. It's like a three-story building. And the bottom is just like the bottom floor. It's the lobby. There's just like mailboxes. It's like a hallway. There's really nothing down there. I don't really know what they use it for. We had to hit a buzzer. So when we hit the buzzer, we just said we're here for the meeting. They led us to the front door. Completely pitch black in the lobby. Creepy, scary. We, we sort of think, okay... Now, I guess we go upstairs because, you know, the, lo- the, the lodge room is obviously not down here. So we tried to go up in the elevator. It was locked. There was no activity when we pressed the button. So then we saw the stairwell. Totally dark. There's barely any light except like coming in through the windows from the outside. So we start walking up the stairwell in the dark in a Masonic lodge that we were not supposed to be in. And as we're walking up like the second flight of stairs we hear a voice booming from the top, yelling down at us. I see you. 
I see you. And I was like, oh shit. Like we, we're gonna get arrested or something. Like that was my immediate thought. Since we're already caught at that point and they have a buzzer on the front door, which I'm assuming meant that they could lock us in too. Once the guy said, keep walking, keep walking. After he said he saw us walking up this dark stairwell, I, I just, I was like, okay, we're gonna get arrested. Like he's gonna try to call the cops and say that we broke in here. Um, but we'll, and in my mind, I was like, we'll just play dumb again and pretend that we didn't know the rules or whatever. So as we get up to the top of the stairs, the guy that's yelling at us was a black gentleman with an apron on. And in, and in silhouette, I thought he was like a Freemason dressed as a Freemason. But what he was actually wearing was like a cook apron. And he had led us through the front door with the buzzer. And he asked us what we were doing there. And I said, well, we're here for the meeting. And he said, okay. Are you Freemasons? And we both said no. They were interested in becoming Freemasons. So then he sort of walked us over from the stairwell into the main sort of lit hallway area. And then we could see that there was a meeting taking place in the other room with like a hundred Masons. Nobody was dressed in any formal attire. The guy speaking was dressed in a normal sort of casual suit. He didn't have an apron on. They weren't talking about Freemasons. I could overhear them almost talking about like the community. So we waited there and the cook guy was really nice to us actually. Like I thought we were going to be in trouble. Again, for sneaking into a Masonic Lodge. But he's like, let me go get someone for you. I'll bring someone out to talk to you. So we thought, okay, this is, we already went through this one time before. They're going to make us wait. You know, they're going to tell us to wait here. And then they're just not going to show up and just like keep us in the dark. Leave us in this hallway, confused and nervous. But instead, like 30 seconds later, this older gentleman came out. White guy, short guy, kind of big ears, kind of a mustache. He had sort of nice gelled head of hair, not really balding for an old man, maybe he was about 70. This older gentleman said, I heard you two men would like to become Freemasons. Would you like to come in here and have dinner with us so that we can discuss uh, what it's like to be a Freemason? And my friend immediately, I think he got freaked out thinking that we were being trolled, that they were trying to fuck with us. I could tell by his facial expression and the vibe that he wanted to get the hell out of there immediately. So I made sure I said, yes, we would love to. Thank you. I was very effusive. I, I was, I acted like I was completely earnest in wanting to become a Freemason. And at that point, my friend had no choice. I mean, could have, I guess, ran down the hallway and, but we actually got a nice, perfectly fine dinner out of the situation. It was like a salmon, mashed potatoes, rice pilaf, with the side of salad, it was perfectly fine. At the dinner table, these Masonic gentlemen and their wives, uh, which made me believe it wasn't an actual traditional lodge meeting because women are not allowed in them. It was must have been some kind of Masonic dinner, you know, event or something like that. But these three men uh, proceeded to tell me and my friend the whole story of why they became Masons, how they think that it teaches you character it builds character it builds honesty it builds trust it's a beautiful fraternity for people to love and have respect for one another and blah blah they went through the whole rigmarole and it just sounded really boring 
the only interesting thing we got out of it was that they were really particularly proud of the fact that in their own lore, retelling of American history, Masons believe, as these old older men were telling me, specifically one of them, the guy who actually brought us over there, he was the most talkative. He he was very, very proud of the fact that he believed that the American Revolution was sort of a Masonic act of Masonic philanthropy, that the Masons, with their immense help and resources, and the people who were Masons at the time and their involvement in that battle, he believes that the American Revolution would not have happened had it not been Freemasonry. A lot of Masons will try to downplay and act like it's just conspiracy theories, that it was insignificant. That was how I normally saw actual Masons respond to these accusations before. But this gentleman was actually showing me a different side of Freemasonry, one that embraced their sort of narrative about them being pivotal in the American Revolution. I found that very interesting. That was the first time I had been exposed to that. And so sort of from that point forward, I think I became more interested in the actual truth, not the conspiracies, not the deniers, not the Freemasons who are trying to downplay it, but what was the actual truth about how much Freemasonry was involved in the American Revolution. So I started to actually try to research it online, you know, library books, purchased a bunch of books. I'm looking at a stack right now of about 20 books on Freemasonry and adjacent subjects that I have been collecting over the last 20 years or so. More like last 30 years. I started buying some of these books when I was in high school. So my third and final time infiltrating a Masonic Lodge was actually probably my most fun time. So the first time I visited New York City, a good friend of mine at the time was going to New School University. It's a weird time. It was actually probably my first real foray into sort of the liberal art school, sort of like identity politics scene. This was around 2003. The Iraq war was sort of already in full swing. There were SWAT police all over Wall Street. There was a tank parked in the middle of Wall Street. There was army fatigued soldiers in the subways carrying machine guns. It was a weird time. I think it actually sort of shaped my political view at the time of just how bizarre that whole feeling was, that vibe of feeling like there was sort of quasi martial law in New York City. So anyways, I'm already going off on a tangent, but when we were just walking in Manhattan one day, just sort of randomly shopping, we passed by this gigantic building and I see on the side there's a Masonic, big giant blue Masonic logo flag flying off the corner of it. So I walk up to the building and it says the Grand Lodge of Free and Accepted Masons of the State of New York, which I knew at the time that a Grand Lodge was a big deal. It was sort of the headquarters. Even though Masonic lodges are relatively unaffiliated, there is no overall hierarchy. The Grand Lodge sort of has an edict over the rest of the lodges in that state, if they are part of the same Masonic sect. But this lodge happened to be one of the most powerful lodges in the country. And I didn't realize it until I sort of just walked in and uh, walked past the security desk. And I was actually with my now wife at the time, Lori Kirchner. She was like, what are you doing? She, She didn't understand why I would just brazenly walk in. We started dating after my era of crashing Masonic Lodges. So I don't remember 
exactly what I did, but I remember I just sort of coaxed her, like, come on, like, let's just go in and see how far in we can get in the building until they tell us to leave, basically, was my strategy. And she wasn't super pleased about it, but I ended up walking in with her. And uh, we actually ended up getting to the elevator. The guy at the desk didn't say anything to us. Um, I, I don't remember him asking us anything. The elevator was open. We got inside. And uh, I just sort of looked at both of them like with excited, wide, wide-eyed, childlike expression, thinking, oh my God, look, look what we fucking did. We snuck in. We snuck into a Masonic Lodge in the elevator. And now look, the floors, we can go to any floor we want. So I popped in the floor number for the library and uh, took us to like maybe the fourth or fifth floor. We get out of the elevator, it's just totally silent. No one's there. Uh, the library is fully lit has no sealed doorway entry or anything. We just walk straight into the library and just start browsing the books. And my my wife, uh, Lori, and my friend Stephen were just sort of begging me with their facial expressions to get the fuck out of there. Like both their eyes and facial expressions were like, can we leave like right now? So I immediately tried to start to look for a book on William Morgan, which was a figure that I'm going to tell you about later in this podcast who was allegedly assassinated by Freemasons in the 1800s. As I'm sort of browsing around for this book or whatever, man walks up to me and he says, uh, can I help you? And I said, yes, um, I was interested to see if you had any books on William Morgan. And he's like, well, do you have permission to be here? And I said, no, I, I didn't know that I had to have permission. Permission. I thought this might have been a public library. And he's like, "No." He's like, "You're not. You're not allowed to be here, and uh, I need to ask you to leave." Again, you know, there wasn't any like security guard or aggression. It was more of a polite besetting of a boundary for some random strangers who walked into this library on the fifth floor of a random brick building that was the Grand Lodge of New York State. So. My social engineering skills kicked back in from the previous two times. And I was like, and I knew my friends were, and my wife were going to flip out and they were not going to be pleased with this. But I said, would you be willing to show me around? Because I'm interested in becoming a Freemason. I'm interested in joining the Masons. And uh, this looks like an important landmark for the Masons. And I, I think I sort of apologized. I said, I'm sorry, I didn't realize that this wasn't a public space. You know, of course, of course we'll leave. But I think he sort of believed me in earnest, even though I was not. I don't want to become a Mason. I'm just doing this purely to fuck around as a prank. I don't give a fuck about joining the Masons. But I am interested in getting a firsthand tour of a private Masonic Lodge that has this much history in it. And, you know, I could just tell by looking around at the walls, the artifacts, all the swords that they had, all the antiques, that this was a building and an important monument to Freemasonry. I could just tell by being in there. You could feel the age of it. You could feel the legacy of it. So he, he takes us inside the temple room. And it was the first time I'd ever been inside such a beautiful-looking, opulent room that was private there was something that like was not made for the public to appreciate so first time i've ever been in like a private space where i was like this is this feels like something you that should be like a museum or something like what does indiana jones say this should be at a museum 
like that this couldn't be appreciated by the public just sort of struck me like, wow, this, this alone kind of makes a little sense to me why Masons feel so special, that they perform their rituals and their, you know, in this temple room that is so opulent and beautiful and with real marble floors and the checkerboard floor, which is very common in Masonic lodges, was done with this beautiful marble marble panels, a gigantic checkerboard floor, and these gigantic pillars, bronze, you know, pillars holding up these gigantic, would almost look like glass sphere globes, you know, and then beautiful ceiling panels, like with all these colors, sort of reds and greens, that color scheme was in there, and just all these colors and the way that this room looked coming together, I just remember thinking, wow, this is incredible, so glad I didn't just cave and get scared and be like, yeah, I'm sorry for being in here. Uh, where's the exit? Because here I was for the first time ever actually being inside of a private temple room. As we walk to the middle of the room, we get to this broken slab. So the room itself looks beautiful. It's it's really intact. There's really nothing wrong with it. Nothing dilapidated feeling about it. But we walk up to this broken old, looks like a, a dusty piece of marble that had sort of lost its shellac or its or its gloss or its polish. It was sort of a, of a greenish, cloudy color. And the man said, I want you to kneel down on this piece of marble for me. So I, I do it, and I don't know what I was expecting. I, I was actually a little bit scared. I thought that this whole time this guy was being really friendly to me, showing me around this lodge, that he was going to pull some kind of trick on me or something, like pull my ear or take some kind of Masonic dagger out and put it close to my face. I, I honestly was like, all these things were running through my head. So I'm just sort of kneeling there and he, and he tells me to close my eyes. And he said, do you know where you are kneeling right now? And I said, no, I, I don't. And he said, you are kneeling in the same spot that Franklin Delano Roosevelt kneeled when he took his initiation ritual, his initiation rites. You are kneeling in the same spot that Franklin Delano Roosevelt the President of the United States kneeled and broke this slab of marble with his metal polio braces. One thing at the time that people didn't know necessarily was that FDR actually did walk for parts of his life when he did have polio, but with the aid of leg braces that made him sort of walk really straight. And he didn't look like he can really bend at the knee. So one contradiction I'm, I'm kind of thinking of after this event. First, when I first heard this story from this mason who was telling me to kneel on the slab of marble, I thought he was just telling me complete bullshit. Even though Franklin Delano Roosevelt was a member of this lodge, I thought that the story of him kneeling down on this marble and breaking it was bullshit. Until I sort of found out that, yeah, Franklin Delano Roosevelt did wear leg braces and he did actually walk around for parts of his life. So that was the last time I um, I, I crashed a, a Masonic Lodge and, and got to go inside of it. So that's that's what got me actually like interested in this subject as history and trying to understand what actual influence Freemasonry had back then during the revolutionary time period and what influence it still has today and just what influence it had over American culture and events you know, for the past couple hundred years, too. So, on this podcast today, I'm going to be giving you a overview 
on the American history of Freemasonry and how it shaped aspects of our culture, the way that we talk, the phrases that we use. The American narrative itself and the way that Americans are so good at creating these false narratives about its own country have their roots in Freemasonry. A lot of the American narratives have their roots in fiction. Because that's what Freemasonry is essentially at its core, is it uses biblical narratives and very specific aspects of the Bible to create this larger framework that they come from a lineage of people who are part of this secret stoneworkers guild going back to pre-biblical times even though their historical origins only show them existing since the 1600s, they believe that their lineage actually goes back all the way to the Bible. And the foundational myth of Freemasonry uh, that I'm going to start this podcast with, it's really important to understand, to, to fully grasp what Freemasonry is about and how it shaped culture, is the foundational aspect of Freemasonry being based off of the Temple of Solomon, also known as King Solomon's Temple from the Old Testament. Son of King David from the Bible, Solomon. Solomon who had thousands of women, 300 wives and 700 concubines, according to the Bible. Solomon had this temple built, according to the Bible, in 10 BC. And one of the rules of it was it was not allowed to have any idols of any kind, any religious idols of any kind. The temple itself was believed to have been built with the instructions by God. And King Solomon, according to the Bible, was directing these instructions from God to the architects that built the temple. And it honestly wasn't until I understood the full significance of King Solomon's temple, not just biblically, but how it was perceived through time by different academics, different scientists, including Isaac Newton, and then later the Freemasons, and even Mormonism, that I, d I didn't fully understand really, honestly, what Freemasonry is all about. As long as I've been studying it, looking at it, researching it as a hobby, the rituals, the occultish rituals that they do, do not necessarily reveal what's at the heart of it. And even though it's very obvious and symbolic that King Solomon's Temple plays a huge role in the foundations of Freemasonry, it's not really clear without understanding the significance of the temple and how people thought it was imbued with magical, godlike powers that you actually will fully understand why masonry has so much meaning to people and why it was so influential. Tonight I thought that you might like to see what goes on behind closed doors in a Masonic Lodge room. 
and we're actually going to recreate for you some of the ceremony, the ritual, in the Blue Lodge, the first three degrees of masonry.